and welcome to the Women It Podcast, episode 22, Travelling with Connor Kelly. Uh, Connor is someone I don't actually know. We've uh, recently linked up um, through Instagram. Um, Connor runs the podcast, The Comeback Podcast, which can be found on all platforms, including Spotify. And he's here today to talk about his um, travelling experiences. We're going to touch on England, unfortunately, uh, and then also other bits and pieces. Connor, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, James. I'm really good, thank you, mate. How's things? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Early one for me, uh, just, for, just for work. So um, I'm probably not as my, uh, I don't know what the word is, exuberant voice as usual. So um, yeah, <laughs> I've got coffee in yet, okay. so I'm drinking. Yeah, I'm, yeah, the opposite, yeah, 10.30 p.m. Voice break, whoops. Uh, 10.30 p.m., <laughs> but because of this football problem that we're going to mention, uh, yeah, I deliberately messed up my sleeping pattern, so I'm up till all hours nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Before we just touch on England, just, um, for pe- for le- listeners who want to just kind of understand where you are, you are currently just in Saigon and Vietnam, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. That's where I am currently and have been for two years. Yeah, we're going to talk about that um, after England uh, in more detail. So, um, yeah, it's great that we're connected in completely different parts of the world. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's the best thing about podcasting. The fact that people can be from different countries, different continents, crazy different time zones, but you can still have a connection. It's the beauty of it. Yeah, it, I, I was late to the game. I didn't really get into it until uh, this year, earlier this year. So um, I started yeah, listening to a few and I thought I'd set one up for a laugh. And then here we are, both here, uh, guests on each other's podcast, which is great. I love it. Yeah, me too, man. Did you have any podcasts that you listened to that inspired you to do this? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think I really like James Smith's podcast. Um, oh, okay. I, don't even, I don't even hear James Smith. He's a PT guy, um, online PT uh, instructor. But, you know, it's a bit niche in terms of I'm not, you know, I'm not into gyms and PT and stuff. But he talks to a lot of guests about a lot of subjects that people don't really talk about. Um, mm. So he will talk about the bullshit in the fitness industry about, you know, the blue tick Instagram influencers and you know people think there's all these diets that help you lose weight but it's just a simple calorie deficit and all this sort of stuff um but I like the way he kind of interacts with his guests um it's quite cool okay sweet I might check it out at some point uh, any ones for you that um your fate your, your favorites or you check out regularly yeah yeah there are a couple there's one called London Real run by an American guy in London which I was particularly influenced by uh, Joe Rogan. I know that's a bit generic, but <laughs> yeah. I, I used to watch them at the work computer. Another one, High Performance. Do you know Jake Humphrey from Beat Yeah, I've listened to that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really um, good one. Yeah, yeah. I don't... So those three mainly. The Jake Humphrey one is interesting because my friend recommended that one. And I listened to one that he'd done with Holly Tucker. Um, she's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. She's got her own one. Um, you know, if you're looking to set up a business or that sort of thing, like she's great to listen to. Um, but Jake Humphrey just kind of annoys me a little bit. <laughs> he's a bit, <laughs> he's a bit wishy-washy. Like he, I, I like the guy he does it with, the psychologist guy. I can't remember his name. And I like the way that he uh, was like. Yeah, I actually interviewed him. I interviewed him for my blog and I'm trying to arrange, here's an exclusive. I'm trying to arrange a podcast interview with him, Damien. Ah. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah, like him. So that'll he, be a good one. Yeah, he can like, um, he's good at analysing what they say and actually comes up with like an opinion about it. Um, yeah, yeah, he does. yeah, he's very good at his job. Yeah, yeah, he, he's top notch. And when, when I, think Ant Middleton, I think Ant Middleton went on their podcast, 
Um, I understand Emerson is quite controversial for some people. And uh, it's almost like Jake Humphrey was pandering down to Ant Middleton, like I think like agreeing everything he said, but that um yeah, that the other guy that's with him was like, no, nah, I think he's got you know certain problems in this area from what I can listen to. Um he's, yeah, he's yeah. probably good for this and bad for this. So yeah, I, I don't mind that podcast, but um yeah, like he's cool. If you can get that um that interview on your podcast, I'm definitely checking that one in for sure. He's he's pretty cool. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. But yeah, I interviewed him for my blog and he was just as insightful as he was on the pod. Gave up an hour to chat happily about all the guests he's had on high performance. Yeah. Shared insight from Robin Van Persie, Rhea Ferdinand, mm-hmm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He was, yeah, he was a lovely guy. So awesome. if we can get the interview done for the podcast, that'd be amazing. Where, where can we find that blog if we want to access that? Uh, it's called. I don't really use it anymore. I okay. I used it. I'll, I'll take a later point why I kind of stopped, but I, I be, basically decided to focus on podcasting. But it's okay, www.thecomebackwithck.wordpress.com. Okay, great, cool. I'm gonna check that out and have a little read. Um, yeah, we'll come to your podcasting in a bit. Um, after some chats about other stuff. Um, but yeah, let's crack on with football because uh, I came into your podcast to talk about England um, pre-final. Um, unfortunately, you asked me asked me for a prediction. I said a comfortable two 0 win. Didn't quite turn out that way, did it? <laughs> no. Um, at half time, your prediction it, it was coming true. I thought the first half. I thought we had the better of proceedings, but. As the second half kept going, there was a sinking feeling in my stomach. They were on top, and I thought, please, just weather the storm. And, yeah, eventually we cracked, and then the dreaded penalties came. So it was a painful night, a painful three hours. Yeah, I I thought the first 25, 30 minutes were actually pretty decent. And then we just sat back, and I thought we're just inviting this on. But of all the goals we could have conceded, it was from a set piece, and I thought... You know, open play, that they had a lot of the ball. They weren't really creating very many dangerous opportunities, like a few chances. But, yeah, then when that corner came in, about five people could have cleared that. But, yeah, it was devastating. And I was talking to my mate the other day about it. The, the mentality shift from the first 20, 25 minutes where we were going out and got the goal uh, quite positive, you know, getting into decent areas. And then we just kind of switched, like, oh, yeah, we've got something to hold on to. Let's defend and try and try and win it almost like by that that method and I thought yeah. as soon as we start doing that Italy are going to score yeah it was eerily reminiscent of the Croatia semi-final where similar story we scored in the first five minutes this one was actually earlier it was two minutes and yeah as the game goes on I think we we were unsure whether to stick or twist do we bring on a Grealish or a mm. or a Rat or a Sancho and try and kill the game or do we set back sit back and protect what we have and in the end we did neither we ended up being undone and then yeah just I think we played for penalties in the end I remember the last few minutes of extra time it seemed like we weren't really keen to risk it yeah I think what I think Italy were pushing all the way until the first half of extra time and I thought I think they were kind of happy just to chill out for a bit because they've been chasing the whole game um and then I thought there was a little there's a little five minute period where we sort of gone you know I thought okay we're going to go for this and then yeah we kind of just settled for penalties like why would you I was talking to my friend, another friend about this, like the mentality in extra time, this probably needs a bit of research. How many teams and clubs and international teams just settle for penalties and don't take the initiative? It's, 
it's incredible really because penalties is such a lottery like why would you settle for a lottery it's like a roulette table why would you settle for half the you know red or black like why not go yeah. and try and win it um as much as you can but yeah there it is it's a classic England. It's almost like that golden that golden goal tally where i i'm a bit too young to remember the whole golden goal thing but from what i've heard and i believe why it got scrapped is because teams just wouldn't go for it because mm. obviously you, you can figure out but as that's not there anymore, then yeah, if, if you go, you know, two one up after 106 minutes, then you're well in it. So yeah, I, I do know what you mean actually. I don't know why people, more teams don't take the initiative. And yeah, it's a tricky one. And I think with England's history, they definitely shouldn't have, <laughs> shouldn't yeah, have sat exactly. and waited for the penalty. But, <laughs> yeah, we all as yeah. soon as we all knew it was getting penalties, we all knew that what's going to happen, right? Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, the golden I mean, goal. After, I do, I do remember yeah. that Euro 2000 was it? Was it Trezeguet? Uh, for France, yes. yeah, yeah that I, that's my first memory of a well, I mean, maybe the only memory of a golden goal. I remember watching that. Um, yeah, that's quite it's weird because you're like, oh, yeah, it's over, <laughs> so it's done. One goal, full time, straight away. It's quite weird. Yeah, I'm glad, it, I'm glad they scrapped it. it. I don't know how long they had it in play for, but I can't imagine. Well, if the only memorable one is the Trezeguet one, because I can't think of another significant golden goal. Then yeah, they did a good job in just getting rid and letting teams battle it out the whole way. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 worth a four, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I guess if well, the Cop America doesn't have extra time at all, so the Cop America just has penalties straight out at the bat. I mean, does that mean that like teams in ninety minutes just, just settle for penalties? I don't, uh, I don't know which way you can win, <laughs> but um, yeah, England just need to avoid penalties. That's all we just need to bear in mind for the future. Yeah, <laughs> when it gets to extra time, just go for it, lads. Don't wait for the pens. Yeah. Also, just to fin finish off, in the Denmark game, in extra time, again, there's someone's another friend about this. You know, we, we, scored the we scored the penalty, or Harry Kane banged in the rebound. And then Denmark were dead on their feet, and I get it. They were like game management, just passing around the back. We got through. It was easy. But someone like Phil Foden came on. I don't know if you realised, but he was like, Come on, look, there's so much space here. We can get a second and really kill it off. Like, he wants to go forward and, you know, through balls or even approach and try and get a second goal, but we're, like, passing it around the back. I just thought, like, you need his mentality going into extra time because, you know, he's forward pressing all the time, always looking to go forward. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we subbed Grealish for Trippier, which, yeah, invited the pressure. But luckily, we got through the Denmark game. But against the superior opposition, it yeah. didn't really work out. Yeah, um, there we go. Never devastating, uh, well, loss for England, but final loss this time, which is even worse. Um, I've got some Italian friends down downstairs who run a calf. Um, so I, I went and congratulated them the day after because they had their, their Italy shirts out. It's coming to Rome signs and all that. Um, but yeah, that, they said the same thing about after 30 minutes, it's all them and they can, they can understand why we'd switch mentalities and that helped them out. So yeah. Another another tournament next year. Hopefully, we'll go one further next time. Hopefully, this is the one. Fifty six years of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be hundred, isn't it? You just know it. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I hope we this should, is one that I don't. Have to, uh, we should still be here. So there we go. I, I hope so, man. I hope I'm not saying to my grandkids, "This is the one, guys. This is the one." Yeah. Imagine it's weird because just to, uh, again finish off. Let's not go too much in England. You know, my dad's 60, uh, what's he, 62 approaching. So he doesn't really remember 66, he's too young. So that's, yeah, he's what, four. 
so that he can't really claim that England have won it in his lifetime because he doesn't remember it. So therefore, he's gone like 60 years, well, 55 years of nothing until then. But like, if it's such an opportunity that's never really reached that often, that, he, you know, you might not be here to see the next one. You never know, do you? Yeah, it's, that's why I'm hoping they grab it early when I'm in my 20s because I don't want to, yeah, have to tell my kids, oh, this is what I went through following England and <laughs> then the grandkids. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the older gen, for, I think we might have spoke about this on the podcast last week that people who are around 13, 14 now probably think it's always been like this. And it's yes. like, no, 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 no. There is a long history of heartache to yeah. go through to reach this point. They don't understand the years. But yeah, you're right. You're right. I think we did discuss that. That yeah, they probably if if you start getting into football when you're eight or nine properly, and you start yeah, remember yeah, like right. all the games, like yeah, you probably think, oh yeah, we've been to like semi-final and the final. This is this is normal, but it definitely isn't. <laughs> um anyway, that's England. Um I'm sure we'll come back again maybe next year uh, for the other world next World Cup. And we can <laughs> reminisce about that one. But um yeah, until then. Right, let's crack on to a bit more cheerier subject of travelling. So, Connor, you are in Vietnam, in Saigon, and you're teaching English, right? Yep, absolutely. And you've been there for a few years. Um, talk us about, firstly, um, how did you decide to um, teach or go down that route? And then, secondly, why did you choose Vietnam um, to go and teach English? Sure thing. Well, basically, I... Um... I did the classic thing of uni where I didn't really know what I was doing. And I had a bit of a tricky time at uni with that, where I didn't know what to do, wasn't sure what the right path was, what the, what are the options and coming to the end of the degree, I had that, you know, sudden realization, oh shit, I have to get a job now or something <laughs> has to be. I can't just hide behind the student line. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, over, over that summer, uh, it was my parents, actually, they encouraged me. They just kept saying, there's TEFL out there. You know, you can teach abroad. There are so many opportunities. Get your TEFL done. And part of me thought, I can never see myself teaching. Mm-hmm. I might as well try it. At this point, I'd just turned 21. So I thought, go on then. I might as well give teaching a shot. And if it goes well, great. But you might as well get the uh, qualification. So I did the TEFL course online and in the classroom. And well, simple as that, really, I started applying for jobs. I started applying for jobs mainly in Asia, but all over the world. And China kept coming up. So for some reason, I just presumed I was going to go and live in China. But um, what I was looking for was a a job abroad that provided accommodation. Because with my first, first time moving abroad, I thought, accommodation is such a huge thing that if they take care of it that's great that can help me ease in better and Vietnam came out of the blue and just gave me an interview and said yeah would you like to come and join the company so I did research for about 10 minutes and thought yeah this sounds okay (laughs) Uh, and it was as simple as that really and then I think yeah about a month later after some thought we maybe actually less than a month maybe a couple of weeks Put the flight and yeah, in July 2019, set sail. So yeah, it wasn't, it's a bizarre one really because Vietnam, I never, it wasn't like I had huge aspirations to come to Vietnam. It's not yeah. like I knew anything about the country. In fact, I think the only things I knew were <laughs> I'd watched Good Morning Vietnam oh, and yeah. I knew there was a war. So I had the like, most basic knowledge <laughs> ever. 
like there's a war that's great <laughs> and then yeah that was the final yeah the final thing I thought of and then booked a flight and just thought right I might as well go for it and if it goes wrong I can always come back if it yeah. goes right I might end up staying for longer than a year and that's the route we've gone down yeah that's a great um quote that you know if you go for it and it goes wrong you can always just go home you're only like 10 hours or 24 hours away wherever you are from a flight yeah, home yeah. and people don't yeah. seem to realize that like th these big moves they are they are big but they're not not impossible like you can just quit it and you know as long as you've got a, i always have this thing as long as you've got enough money for a flight home and you, you're safe like um, you've got yeah. options so yeah yeah that's great that you took the leap um, of faith to vietnam i think vietnam like yourself for me when I was planning my my proper trip in 2013 with my mate, I had no intention going to Asia. I was like, no, I'm going to Australia, New Zealand, you know, the classic Western countries, um, yeah, a bit yeah. of Fiji for a beach. I was like, that's that'll do me. And I was, I was set in Australia for a year. My mate's like, ah, oh, no, nah, I want to go to Asia for three months. And it was just not on my radar. Um, probably like you, Vietnam, yeah, knew there's a war. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much about it at the time. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised when we when we got there. And the first place we got to was where you are now in Saigon. So how do you find the city like in terms of um, what's happening there? Um, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? It's crazy traffic, heat, um, lots of people. How are you finding it? Yeah, it's astonishing. And it's so much different to what I did expect. I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for and did mm. minimal research upon Vietnam because I thought, as you mentioned, I, uh, before I thought I might overthink it and think it's an impossible move so I thought let's just go into it blind so as I turned up yeah I was wow I mean I don't remember being drenched with sweat every day for the first few days <laughs> the traffic I thought there's no chance I'm ever going to be able to get on a motorbike in that traffic because it was just it was a we call it a beautiful chaos where everybody just goes and there's no order or no yeah, yeah no true. no rule everyone yeah. just flows by and some by and large it goes okay i think everyone just yeah. looks out for each other it's such a bizarre situation but i was i was terrified the first time i got on a bike i thought there's no way i'm surely you're going to crash in this but i've touched wood i've been fine so far uh the heat yeah the heat's been a tricky one but i'm used to it now i suppose just to some degree um and yeah i think the whole vibe is it's great for your 20s there's so many different cultures there are mm -hmm. so many different uh, different activities you can do there are so many different and weird places like I think we mentioned on my pod Boy Vienne Street that's a, yeah. a a place if ever there was one and I think yeah for your first time abroad at the young age that I am it was almost perfect it was almost a yeah let's because it's a free it's, <laughs> there's a lot of freedom there's a lot yeah there's a lot more freedom a lot less restriction than I would have in the UK it's very different and I'm unlikely to have experienced this in many other places in the world. So Saigon has definitely been a, a very interesting, hectic, but ultimately wonderful first place to move from the UK. Yeah, I can imagine the the culture difference and shock is is ridiculous from from maybe like your first trip from maybe home to there be like bang because we we arrived in Bangkok. And that was a culture shock for me. It took, we loved it. We stayed there a week. Like we just loved meeting people there and going out on, on Kosan Road, etc. But that was like, okay, this is what Asia's like. But even going, so we had a little bit of experience with Bangkok. And then we went east to Saigon via Cambodia. Cambodia is less um, stressful, less um, 
less busy. So when we got to Saigon, it was then another level. But I think, yeah, because you're in Saigon and it, it is that crazy, yeah, boy Ben Street and you got all this like stuff going on in Saigon, which is like crazy. I think it doesn't get any crazy, I don't think, in Southeast Asia from what I've experienced in terms of a city. Um, the only other place I can maybe compare it to is India. If you go to something like Delhi or a bigger right, city yeah. there, that could be like a bit like, wow, what is this? But you're, you've almost you've almost reached the top in terms of craziness, in terms of like how life works there. So I think you <laughs> you, you started well, I think, with that, with that place. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually quite a quite a relaxed character I like a bit of space and I'm not a huge fan of crowds so wow I don't know why I chase I got it hindsight but yeah maybe <laughs> yeah if I've hit the craziest spot like straight away there uh, besides from Delhi or Bangkok then I'm, I'm pretty satisfied I think this is a great yeah yeah if you if you start to travel around Southeast Asia after COVID finishes you'll start to realize that oh it's just yeah it's not as crazy as Saigon like you're just all these cities are just not as mental as that place. Um, even Bangkok these days, I went Bangkok um, a few years ago and it's completely different to when I went seven years ago, eight years ago, whatever it was. Um, it's, it's kind of got a bit, bit more westernized, a bit more calmer. So I, yeah. I don't know if that's experience or that's just, you know, the way the city's gone, but I can imagine if I went back to Saigon now, it's still be as crazy as what it was when I first experienced it. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool place. I, I actually love the place. I think um, listeners, um, would love to know, like, if you were to give any recommendations in the city, like, what sort of stuff do you normally get up to if you're out and about? If I'm out and about, I think to start with, I would probably do something that's quite, but quite ordinary, which is, well, I would rent a bike. Uh, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to see it from the perspective of, say, a tourist. I'd rent a bike and I would go to more hidden districts, like there's District 7, which as its own district is absolutely beautiful, but it's very far out from the city. Right. Where, okay. Yeah. So to, to go there to visit is great, but to live there, I mean, living there would be amazing if it wasn't so far from everything else. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd, exp- I'd explore there. There's actually some nature there, which is probably the one criticism. It, it can be lacking in the city, nature with obviously yeah. the pollution, the traffic. Mm. That's not the best. Um, I would suggest that uh, there's District Nine. There's uh, some some theme parks, some temples. There's a huge water park, which for a day out is great for everyone, families mm-hmm. alike. And then I'd probably do probably the classic tourist stuff. So you know Notre Dame Cathedral, yeah, post office, yeah, there, that yeah. kind of thing around District One. Yeah, just you, the only thing is you have to be careful a for pickpockets and b um, there might be an official name but people who shine your shoes they, they go around with the like the big thing and they're like oh i shine your shoes i'll shine your shoes and they go for your shoes anyway and you go no no and then they still try and charge you <laughs> god knows how many <laughs> vietnamese don't what about if you're wearing flip-flops so, are they, yeah, are they still trying to do it uh, <laughs> i'll shine your probably, toes <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah they'll be like yeah, yeah you need clean you need clean <laughs> yeah it's like now <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's a strange one because uh i i did a lot of this is a st- where um occasionally i've been a bit lax is actually being a tourist in my own city because for the first three months say i was mesmerized by saigon i thought mm-hmm. wow saigon is incredible everything was so different and 
then I did the classic thing of when it became home. So when I started settling us, settling down and thought Saigon yeah. is home, the, you lose the aura and the feel good factor. Occasionally now, you know, I'll, I'll drive past somewhere. I think that's actually really cool, but because I'm I'm so used to it now, because it's you know <laughs> it's Saigon, it's my home city. It's just not the same appeal. I also started traveling all around Vietnam, and once you do that, you you yearn to get out of Saigon a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think my first two or three months, I only went to Vung Tau, which is a two-hour drive. It's not like a, an island in Vietnam that you could fly to. So, yeah, um, I, I, my aura, the awe that I was in of Saigon definitely subsided after the first three months. But in the first three months, yeah, I did all the tourist activities. I was there. I was taking pictures of Notre Dame and everything else. But then... Yeah, decided to explore the rest of Vietnam. But for sure, I think Saigon, for a week, you, I think you have to just do the backpacking street. You have to do the backpacking yes. street and get immersed in a bit of chaos for, for a night or two. Yeah, that's exactly what I did um, the first time around. And then the second time, I sort of ventured out to other stuff. Um, but yeah, you got the classic tourist stuff like the post yeah, sure. as you said, backpacker street, coochie tunnels, um, the War Museum as well is worth yeah, checking yeah. out. Like a little bit out- Actually, um, I can't remember. I can't believe that I never mentioned the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth. I've been there twice. I probably wouldn't go again, but um, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it be harrowing. There's a story actually. I I was in the war museum on my third day in Vietnam. A few of us um, in the accommodation we were provided decided to go for a cultural trip in the city. Mm. And as I'm walking around the war museum, I I know it's a guy who looks very very similar to a guy I went to primary school with, and I thought. No, I can't be him. We're not in Manchester anymore. I'm in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh. And as I got closer, we're both like looking at each other. Thinking, and then he shake, puts his hand down and goes, hey, you're right, mate. And I'm like, this is crazy. Whoa. I've not seen you <laughs> since primary school 12, 12 years ago. And he lives, I'd imagine, about a 15-minute walk from me back in Manchester. Well, then I moved to Saigon and I see him on my third day. <laughs> that is mental, right? That's crazy. <laughs> In I can't believe I thought this is really weird. Hi, hi, Eddie. How are you, mate? <laughs> is he? Is he? Is he? Was he just traveling there? Was he? Is he living there as well, like you? Yeah, he was traveling there. Yeah, this yeah. was the days where he used to be able to travel to. Vietnam. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was Those traveling days. there for a bit, and he. Yeah, I think he was traveling the whole of Southeast Asia. I can't oh, yeah. remember really. Yeah, but um, yeah, he was doing that vibe, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought, wow, more world. But the War Museum itself, um fascinating experience definitely worth it for the educational value but particularly harrowing there's some scenes on i think the second floor that i thought wow i'd prefer if i could unsee that yeah that's uh, i think is that agent orange and whatever the floor that yes. is yes. um that's a very harrowing um, read and watch in terms of like uh yeah the videos and the the pictures on the wall and all that sort of stuff it's it's yeah it kind of leaves something on you right um but for the cultural aspect and also for the his- historical aspect, it's definitely worth uh, going to that museum to check it out. Um, I, I kind of I do think it's a must-do must, must thing. Um, but just bear in mind, you've got to probably read and see some stuff that's very grim. Yeah, it, it should come maybe with a warning of some kind. But yeah, it's a bit grim, but certainly for the educational point, and especially to when I was doing it, it was my third day. Yeah, I think my third and my fourth. And it was great to understand what the country had been through. You, you didn't, I didn't really, obviously, as I mentioned before this, I knew there was a war. But then I, you know, found out more about the, in, about the ins and outs of the war and particularly how long it was. 
And I thought, wow, that's extraordinary. It's extraordinary how Vietnam bounced back from that. It's just a fascinating, yeah, fascinating part of the history. It is fascinating. And I think the majority of the population now is quite young. I, mean, I don't know what the stat is. I thought like half the population is under 25. And I think the new generation, of course, their, their parents and grandparents are involved. But this new generation doesn't really, it's not in their thought process anymore. Like if they met you and I, Know, for a drink at one of the bars it's it's cool it's just normal right it's not like uh, are you american or anything like that i think the new generation definitely yeah, yeah. have moved on and they're trying to progress the country um there's quite a few people here yeah. um who i work with in, in vancouver or know so i've got a friend here who her parents are, are vietnamese and they moved over here because of the war and some of the grandparents and great aunts and uncles are still in vietnam and i think they still i think they're in the middle of the country but i think they're technically south so they still have their views on it and it's difficult because that generation you can definitely tell who's north and south vietnamese i think there's like a difference in accent mm. maybe um so maybe for that generation there's still a bit of animosity or a bit of you know come back from that war but the new the newer generation is, is cracking on right there it's a great country to visit um so bearing that in mind like have you traveled to much other places in vietnam or if you have like what's your favorite places that you've been to um, yeah, I have actually. Uh, not as much as I would have liked to. Uh, I made a pact after the first year where um, the first few months I worked a lot and the next few months were COVID. So travel was heavily restricted. After that, I made a pact to visit as much of the country as possible. So I've done, um, done a lot in the north and the south. Uh, I've done Hanoi. I've done Da Nang. I've done Phu Quoc, Con Dao, Moine, Nha Trang. And my favourite out of the lot, oh, this would probably be, as we spoke about on my podcast, pro- mm, actually, it's a, t- it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up with Penang and Fuwok. I don't know if you visited Fuwok. I remember we talked about Yeah. Uh, have you visited Denang? Yeah, yeah, both, yeah. Yeah, Denang, yeah. Denang's got to be up there. That was sensational. Denang is, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is why I like podcasts because people have different opinions. I wasn't too fast with Denang. Um, for me, because oh, okay. uh, it's got a great beach actually, Danang, like Kraken Beach. I just felt yeah. like it's a bit of a resort type place. Um, it's quite a big place though, as a city, right? Um, but I think it's quite close to Hoi An, right? It's not too far. Um, a bit yes, cliche, I but I love I love Hoi An. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love that place. That's a bit cliche in terms of tourists and backpackers, but. Yeah, Danang was fine. Like I had nothing against it, but I wasn't too fussed with it. Same with Natrang. I did not like not too fussed with Natrang. Um, but Phu Quoc was incredible because, like we said on, on your podcast, the airport was built in 2013 January, and we went in the first week of Feb. Um, so it's like quite a brand new experience in terms of like the roads have still been built. Um, not much Whoa. in terms of accommodation. Um, we, we struggled to find somewhere to stay. Um, but from your experience, because we talked about this, yeah, you, you said that it's now completely built up, right? The, the island yeah. itself. Mm. It is, yeah. It's very catered to tourists and people, yeah, people coming from Saigon. I mean, yeah, when it gets to a holiday, for example, Tet or Christmas, New Year gets flooded by tourists. They have a huge beach party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many resorts and hotels now built amongst the island, bars everywhere. 
yeah, they've definitely upgraded it significantly since you were there. I've been three times now. Yeah, oh, three nice. times. And each time, I, each time I, I, <laughs> I go with friends. So like, I never see as much of the, the culture as I'd like to, because, you know, you go with friends and you, you go on a night out and one thing leads to another. It's another night out and then boom, the holiday's over. But eventually <laughs> I'll see culture in complete depth. But yeah, Fuwok now is a lot more developed and it's beautiful. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a beautiful island. It's um for people who don't know where this is, it's in the south of Vietnam. I think actually the island's probably a bit closer to Cambodia in terms of geography. Not really sure. Um, it kind of approaches the border with Cambodia, so you're you're going towards that Chinookville area of the water down there. But it's part of Vietnam, and it's a cheap flight from Saigon. Just a quick, I don't know, I don't know how much they are. I think they're like thirty, forty dollars when I when we done it, but um, one way. But incredible island because it's got well. Yeah, you've been obviously more recently, but some great beaches. I guess there's now quite a few more um, accommodation to book. And also there's a, a few little towns and coastal towns around the island, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah, quite yeah. a few. So that's definitely a recommendation from me and from yourself. Um, yeah, Da Nang, back to Da Nang. Um, I'll tell you randomly what that I did love there. We went to this rooftop all-you-can-eat bar. I don't know if you... I, I can't remember the name, unfortunately. Um okay. And they've done like, I guess, an English style um, high tea, uh, but it's all you can eat. So you can keep requesting more. And it had a great view over the water and the beach at the beachfront. Um, so, yeah, we just smashed in like a load of cakes and sandwiches and tea and stuff for, for a couple of hours, like looking over the view. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, we, we did check out the city. Um, I just thought, yeah, it, it's an all right place, um, but not in my top three or five i don't think of places to go to in vietnam but yeah um i don't dislike it the only place i disliked was the train but i just didn't like the feel of the train um yeah, great party, great party bit, there yeah i'm a bit funny on the train i don't think yeah I, I also didn't feel completely in love with it i felt like it was a little bit ordinary not i felt like it was a poor version of Danang, but then hey, yeah, yeah maybe maybe i was biased about Danang. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no I, I would agree with that um what about, have you been to Dalat? Dalat, yes, I, actually I have. And that was an incredible few days. I only went for, I think, four or five days and I keep meaning to go back, particularly around Christmas. Hanoi is another one that I need to go to in the winter months because, you know, I miss, <laughs> I do miss a bit of the cold British weather, I must admit. I do miss oh, yeah. a, a winter. Yeah. yeah, so Dalat, I went in the summer and got extremely burnt, but... It was just such a different holiday where from the places we've just mentioned, Nha Trang, Da Nang, Phu Wok, you get to, you know, be immersed in some nature. Yeah, and, in the hills. Yeah, right? go, go up into the mountains. Yeah, I, I just, I did it where I turned my sat off and I just got on the bike and um, it's weird. I went solo, but I met friends there. And during the day I said, yeah, I'm going to go off and do my own thing for a bit. And I just got lost. I literally got, <laughs> literally <laughs> turned off the sat no plan and just went up the mountains and kept finding so many great different places like there's the cable cars there yeah there was the the waterfall there was the lake and i thought this place is phenomenal i i had a few friends who decided to move there but they ultimately got sick of living there compared to the you know the the, the party lifestyle of saigon but to mm. visit i think Delat's a wonderful place i mean i really want to go back i want to go back especially now now that you've just mentioned it actually i'm like yeah i need to I need to get going again yeah we we love the uh the lake uh, and also 
they've done a few tours like coffee plantations and um, they, I think they do wine there as well I think and that so yeah they do uh, yeah, yeah yeah so we're kind of like seeing all these like completely different stuff in Vietnam that compared to like Hanoi or Saigon is completely different different vibe much more laid back smaller as well and then yeah we just love walking around the lake and going to these like trendy little cafes as well for brunch and coffee and just like absolutely loved it there um so I would highly recommend going to that if you want a bit of a different experience to the predominantly busier cities or like a beach culture is a, is a third option if you like yeah I have my pl- well we'll see what happens with this whole virus situation but um, my plan is from say September when I hopefully go back into the <clears throat> my voice is breaking today this is not good for podcasting yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is going to be recorded in the archives but um, yeah. when I get back into the classroom I can then yeah spend a co- every other weekend just going away to a different place Delat will probably be the first one I go to I think I need to I- I'm not quite done there I need to do a bit more exploration I think it's great to one of the best things I've started doing is getting out of the city at weekends because as I mentioned Saigon is brilliant but you can become consumed by it you can become a little bit a little bit tired of the pollution non-stop yeah a place like delight perfect yeah i can i can understand that um i'm trying to imagine myself living in saigon like full time and i would give it a go for 100 percent. but um yeah i can imagine it's a pretty uh, chaos sometimes it'd probably be like tokyo or something like that where it's just constantly on the go all the time um but yeah, it's, it, it must be a great experience though, because how many people, I don't know many people who've actually done what you're doing. Like um, my friend Lewis, who came on the podcast a few months ago, he uh, went to China. So he went to teach in Wuhan. He'd done this TEFL and got a job in, in Wuhan. And he was there for four or five years, I think, before, I think really up until COVID really happened. Um, but he loved yeah. it, like his experiences in China and stuff. But he was saying, it's yeah, just- like, it's just the people that just, especially with China, Vietnam, maybe not as much so, but just bear in mind in China is over a billion people. So everywhere you go, there's going to be people. You just got to accept that and kind of deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, as I mentioned towards the start of this podcast, being in a city where there's so much freedom, there's such a different way of life where everyone gets about on a motorbike, you can go on a walk and meet someone from Ireland, Russia, Vietnam, France, Spain, uh, and then within an hour and come back. That just does not happen in, in England. Like Manchester, um, one of the main reasons I moved where, as much as I love the place, love England, it was the same thing every day. And I realized that if I don't take a big leap now and try something completely different out of my comfort zone, then I'm going to just have the same old thing whilst in Saigon, okay, it can be a bit busy, it can be hectic. You could say overwhelming, mm. but it's certainly never boring. And that's one thing that I'm delighted that I don't have to put up with. I hate being bored. And so coming to Saigon, it's hard to get bored, which is amazing. Yeah. And there's so many people who don't make that leap. And I, I don't understand how um, some people can just do the same thing day in, day out in the same place. It, it, it actually baffles me how you can accept that in terms of, like, oh, yeah, this is just what I'm happy with. Because how do you know? Like, even if you're from home and you've only been home, how do you know it is the best place for you? Like, why wouldn't you want to go to somewhere else just to, just to check it isn't, you know? Um, yeah, maybe fear though, because I feel yes. as if 
a lot of people secretly want to, but and I do understand it. I mean, I've had I had quite a lot of fears before I took this move, and I still do about future projects. But yeah, I feel like you can get trapped in that cycle of fear of what if it goes wrong. But as we said, if it goes wrong, you save up for a flight home and fly home. At least you tried it. At least you actually put yourself into that situation. Saigon isn't for everyone. A yeah. couple of people did leave in the first three or four months because they didn't enjoy it and that's absolutely fine but they gave mm. it a go they tried to yeah. take some serious yeah serious courage so i do understand why people don't take the leap but i really think a lot more people should it, okay it's easy for me to say it now that i've done it but i really do think yeah it's, it's so refreshing it's so exhilarating just getting to a completely different place where nobody knows you there's no expectations or limitations and your eyes are going to be opened to a lot of stuff for good and for bad but just roll with it and see how you do. I think it's so vital to do that, especially in your 20s like me and you did. Yeah, and I think um, there's a great point about, um, you know, it might go wrong, it might not. My friend, uh, my friend, uh, the podcast I listened to, the James Smith one, he has a book. Um, he has a couple of books, actually, which I've read. And he's got a bit in there about anxiety from his friend, Lucy Lord, who's like another friend of his who does like cooking stuff. Um, she wrote a piece on anxiety about that and she said people need to switch this mentality like yeah people say oh you know what happens if it goes wrong no flip it say what happens if it goes really well like you might gain uh, a new acquaintance a new friend a new new career a new skill a new love for a country whatever it is like you've got to flip that anxiety because in the end most things go right and you can always like take um action if it doesn't go right like say you can always just go home right like you mentioned your friends who were there for three four months decided that was it that's fine like they gave it a go they probably enjoyed three four months and then thought no i can't do anymore and then that's it they went back um, but it's, be- it's better doing that than just sitting at home thinking about it um so that's the point of this podcast really is to try and get people up on their feet and experience something that's completely out of their comfort zone that's the aim really from the article that you've just mentioned, it brings me to a quote that really changed my outlook, which is you will pay a sacrifice for everything you do and you don't do. So every decision you make, there will be a sacrifice. For example, I moved to Vietnam. It's awful. I hate it. I get robbed in Boy Vienna and it's an awful three months. But then, you know, it doesn't quite go to plan. But then the cost of that is on the flip side, if it goes really well and I get a new career, etc., I wouldn't notice because the other sacrifice I'm making is doing the same old job in Manchester mm. every day, seeing yeah. the same old people. Like that's a sacrifice. So that, you know, you could say the cost of it goes wrong. Well, there's also the cost of staying at home being wrong where yeah, you yeah, just see yeah. the same thing day after day. That, that that could be, you know, a sacrifice which isn't worth it as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, oh, I can't remember the quote. I mean, we come to quotes later on actually because we finished with a quote on this podcast episode, but there's another quote, and I, I, I've not got a word for a word here, but the, the premise is that something like the fear is not, um, you know, not trying to do something. The fear is going to sleep at night. No, I've not even tried to do something. Like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that for me is yeah, the biggest yeah. fear. Imagine like day after day, you just, just haven't made that leap or haven't made a, a decision to try and do something a bit more edgy or a bit more different. Yeah. There's so many people who don't do that. And it's crazy that, people settle for that and then by the time you think about it and you do life it's gone you you're probably too tired when you later in life um and it also goes to the same argument with how many people i know who just say oh, i'll do all the traveling when i'm in you know when i'm retired i'll work first but i'm like <laughs> yeah, why the yeah. hell would you risk that when you 
um, and not even guaranteed to be here when you retire. Something could happen. So why would you take that risk where you're waiting till later? I'd rather do it now. So at least I've got it in the bank for when I'm older, you know? Um, it's yeah. too, risk, too risky for me. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you say, for example, if you decide, oh, I'll do it when I've retired, say if you're about 30 or 40, you have your health at 30 and 40. You might yeah. not be able to do that when you retire. You've got no idea what, you know, conditions you may have or what your circumstance may be like. Yeah. You might have children that you have to take care of, you know? do it whilst you can like really that's that that was the, the main thing for me i thought i've not got a single responsibility in the world right now this is this might not be the case in five years there's no partner there's no child there's nothing go for it just go out there into the world and see exactly what happens and luckily enough i made it i do have to thank my parents for pushing me towards it to be honest with you i'll give them a shout out in case they listen to this like they really did you know push me towards it and so i'm so grateful they did because otherwise yeah as you said i'd just be going to sleep every night thinking what if what if yeah yeah and that's the fear um as you mentioned your parents can we just mention your dad how many countries has he been to yes we can i believe and i will ask him later for the official confirmation i believe it's around it's around 114 absolutely I'm pretty, incredible I'm pretty sure, yeah i mean it's definitely over a hundred and we, we have spoken about this yeah okay in case he listens to this and he you know says oh you're exaggerating i'm pretty sure it's around 114 so yeah it's absolutely astonishing and definitely having someone like that you know as your dad is is, is, wow. is some motivation to travel just on the, uh, to, to compare uh you know there's no right and wrong here so my dad hasn't got a passport <laughs> so that's the difference oh, in terms of um maybe influence of travel right um yeah my dad's no interest in going to plane so um he's not going to see any other country anytime soon so that's incredible that he's been to that many countries um yeah. i've got someone i've got someone lined up to come on the podcast actually who i met at this summit a few months ago she's been to i think around the same number of countries um 114 115 and i'm like where the hell do i start with this on this episode like where do we even begin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Jeez. It's daunting. It's going gonna, it's gonna to probably have to be like a few episodes, I imagine. But even then, like, where yeah. do I start first? Yeah. Might have to do like continent by continent, and then. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, don't, I don't know how I'd do that as a structure. You can't go through every single country. No. Yeah. You make it the rest of your podcast just weeks with yeah. whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah. Every episode is a different country. Yes, yeah, not a bad idea. Um. Yeah, incredible. It's, it's great to hear that people are, are getting out there and, and smashing those like countries out. That's brilliant. Um, talking about different countries, um, just to finish on Saigon, have you been to the cafe apartment in Saigon? The cafe apartment? Is it the one in District 1? Uh, I can't really describe it. Um, I feel like it's District 1 because it's right in the thick of it. It's, a, it's basically an old apartment block that people turn into cafes and some yes, people still yes, live in there. I Yes, I went there in my um, like my second week in Saigon. So okay. I'm trying to, you know, when I was doing all the tourist bits, yeah. yeah. So I have been, but two years ago. Yeah, great little, uh, just a little recommendation. I loved, we loved going there. We had again another high tea there because <laughs> at, at the time we're trying in Asia, you just sometimes need like a tuna sandwich and a, a cake and a cup of tea in a pot. Um, I think one of the one of the cafes there does that, so that's quite a cool, cool place to go if you need a a break from Vietnamese culture for an hour or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just for Vietnam. How, do you want to finish off anything else uh, before we move on? Before we move on, Vietnam, um, I'd say for anybody listening who is maybe considering Vietnam, 
with corona right now you know it's very difficult to do so there's a you know companies that have to sponsor you coming in but if there's anybody listening who has thought well, maybe i should start teaching abroad firstly if you're thinking about moving abroad to teach do it just go for it especially if there are no responsibilities and for vietnam i think also yeah strongly consider it this yeah the economy is developing rapidly and will do in the next 10 15 years in vietnam you don't necessarily have to teach you can maybe use that as a way of getting your foot in the door but it's definitely something to consider it's a rewarding job mm. teaching yeah but i would strongly recommend yeah at least if you, if you don't want to live in vietnam at least visit it. it's an outstanding country the people are lovely the scenery is amazing the food i've not even mentioned the food the food oh god yeah. yeah actually should we touch on food we can't not um, yeah let's go for food yeah we've got food no self-proclaimed uh <laughs> it's not one of my favorite cuisines um controversially um i definitely prefer thai or um uh, what do i prefer yeah indian thai it's kind of my area okay. but uh the great stuff let's start with maybe a classic banh mi i mean you must have had some oh my goodness. great banh mi's oh Oh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I actually used to make a point of it where if I was in a different district in Saigon for whatever reason, or if I was taking a trip out of the city to go to the Mekong Delta, I would stop for a bummy. It's just a, a like 15k, which is 50p just for, yeah, you know, a breakfast sandwich, basically, with all the meats, the spices, the egg. Oh, my goodness. It's, <laughs> yeah. I forgot how much I miss banh mi's. I mean, with the current restrictions, banh mi stands are closed. Yes. And wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're incredible. Yeah, how did, how did I how did I talk about Vietnam for about forty minutes and not mention Bali? Wow, <laughs> that was really poor of me. <laughs> but we're there. Yeah, and we we did go to a few. I think in the north of the country, actually in Hanoi, we went to like a couple of places. We also went to the cafe. I don't even know where it is. The one that Barack Obama went to to have a bar me with Anthony Bourdain. I don't know if that's in Hanoi or Hoi An. I can't remember which one it is. Um, but yeah, that, that was incredible. And there was like a little sh- uh, barmy shop in Hanoi that we went to that was, again, incredible. Um, so I love barmies. Um, I would definitely have a barmy. Um, if you're struggling to understand what barmy is, if you're listening, yeah, it's just like a baguette, right, with all the stuff you can imagine in it for a really cheap price. Um, what other cuisines um, or other dishes do you particularly like in Vietnam? Mm. Um, probably my favourite is... Com tam, a good old com tam that can definitely hit the spot. You get basically, you get basically your pork, and then you get the, the rice, the soup, the spices, uh, put on top with some salad. Side of the road, 60k, which amounts to 150. Perfect. Uh, com chien, also a great dish, which is mm-hmm. the chicken and rice mixed. I love um, trying the different spices that they do. They love their fish sauce here. Like yes. Fish sauce is something that they're really keen on. And I, you know, initially thought, mm, really, am I going to like this? Uh, okay, yep, yeah, I'm sold. Wasn't <laughs> yeah, great about it. Yeah. Um. The only really complaint about yeah, so com chien and com tam are the two foods I would usually go towards. Uh, durian. Did you ever have durian? Oh God. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, that's 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 the only complaint really. That definitely lets down the Vietnamese cuisine side of things but yeah no Vietnamese food as you said it's not I mean I really enjoy it but it's not you know it's not something I yearn for I mean I eat a lot of it I eat it at least five times a week but Mm -hmm. again I'd probably rather go for more like a Japanese dish or a Thai dish but 
yeah vietnamese food definitely is still worth trying though especially the banh mi <laughs> yeah banh mi I, I love um, vietnamese um spring rolls the ones that are fried oh i think they're probably my favorite one of my favorite foods in the world um i will put that on record well, as yeah. well uh, you've got classic pho um or pho i don't know how you pronounce it um that's yeah. obviously the, the classic dish in vietnam isn't it yeah it is yeah I, I quite like it i quite like it i must admit i um you know i wouldn't make a point of going oh yeah i really fancy pho but you know when <laughs> when, when the option is i certainly will take it yeah it's interesting about the fish sauce as well that's why i don't that's why i struggled with the japanese and the vietnamese like those type of dishes that the noodle soup dishes like just not my scene um I'm more of a curry person, so that's why I like Thai and Indian food more. Um, sure. So when I was in India, like for three months, easy. I found it three times a day, Indian food. That wasn't even a struggle. But for something like Vietnam or Japan, it was like, oh, okay, what can we have today? So that's the difference, really. Um, also, cheap beer in Vietnam. Let's not talk about, um, let's not miss that. That's like happy hours are ridiculously cheap, aren't they? Yeah, ridiculously. I think if you go into a you know a Circle K or a Family Mart, uh, the average can of beer will be fifty p. Actually, even yeah. less sometimes. Sometimes it's like forty p, and you think this is just this is dangerous. Yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even happy hours. Yeah, side of the road. Yeah, yeah. You go to um, it's like a beer hall or a yeah beer joy places like that where I quite like them. Where I live in, are you familiar with Tao Dien in Ho Chi Minh? Uh, no. Okay, I'm not sure when you were there what it was like, but um, basically it's the it's the expat area. It's where all the westernized restaurants are, and okay. yeah, that's where that's where you live primarily as an expat. And people will move here and go, no, I won't live in Taudi, and it's too much like Europe. And unfortunately, I fell into the trap. And once you're in there, you can't leave it. But, um, <laughs> so I go to a lot of those places, which are like classic British style pubs. But all, yeah. but one of my favorite things to do is. Yeah, a side of the road, just a little beer hoy where you have the tiny stools, you have yes, the, the brilliant. Yeah, beer for about 40 pence and then, yeah, drink with the locals. Even even if they can't speak English, they still drink with you and they still celebrate with you. Mo, hi, ba, yo, when everyone raises the glass. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favourite things to do. I mean, that's certainly something I'm going to try and organise when I, yeah, when I get back. It's so much cheaper than you know westernized uh, yes of course it's part of, yeah the vietnamese they love their beer as well like, yeah i mean you'll be driving home one night at say 10 p.m after work and like all, all the men are still out there drinking beer on the side <laughs> of the road with the traffic yeah no it's, it's a great sight. yeah, yeah 50p beers I can't go wrong that night yeah this chat about just you know walking around a bit of street food here a bit of street food there a beer just kind of makes me miss like just wandering around asia like i really miss it it's weird how you do miss it that much and yeah it's just that it's get that, that sort of travel juices flowing again but i i love like just any food that's on the street i just want to try it i'm definitely one for a trier so yeah i mean oh it's just incredible that how good those little stools are and how cheap they are yeah and how, how authentic they are as well uh, not westernized anything like that at all i also remember we went for this like oh what's that coffee in vietnam that's a bit um is it egg coffee um or was it it's got lo lots of condensed milk in it i can't remember what it's called but in hanoi um we were told about this place where you actually go through someone's house to get to it um so like oh, okay and then it's by the lake one of the lakes in, in, in hanoi and we're like traveling through i was like oh is this really the right place and you literally go through someone's house you know she's got her washing up and it's drying and stuff up the back stairs and it's like this wooden floor 
and then yeah, yeah you survive into a little like egg eggnog egg coffee whatever it is egg coffee bar little stools like wooden stools and you sit and have a coffee and it's just like in someone's house <laughs> but incredible coffee um condensed milk is great so yeah so sounds, to, sounds good yeah so, so to wrap up vietnam um yeah that's great great chat but there and i think your experience of teaching and living there is great compared to my just like backpacker traveling vibe if you like i think people might get a sense of both ends and hopefully that will inspire them to go when when it's safe to do maybe hopefully next year do i you, want the borders to open yeah i mean the borders are an issue right? i guess you're you're back in lockdown aren't you i think yep for the foreseeable so hopefully sometime soon it'll be all right yeah let's hope and then hopefully that we can get back out there and, and see some more sites so i want to talk about your podcast um yeah tell us a little bit about your podcast what it's called where people can find it and also what um subjects you're covering on your podcast yeah absolutely so i call it come back uh, i used to call it Kumba ck because my initials are ck and then once i listened back to a few i thought well, i don't really like the sound of that let's just call it comeback so back from adversity and i still do share topics related to that this can range from mental health to you know family trauma mm -hmm. so we do cover some really deep and serious topics however i also wanted to mix it up and be quite light-hearted and talk about things that you know are quite fun to talk about like we're doing now with travel um, I also want to promote people who do creative projects, uh, yeah. especially things to do with sport, music, art, mainly because I realized in the last 18 months with Corona, if you are stuck with nothing to do and literally nothing, I, you, there is a chance that you are going to struggle because we all need something to occupy our minds and our mm -hmm. bodies. So everyone needs, you know, some kind of outlet whether that be sport music art and i want to promote the people who do that and it also helps me i really enjoy speaking to people from all over the world about topics this can for example as we were talking about saigon saigon is almost the perfect place for this where you meet so many different characters who are doing so many different things i met a guy from bermuda who's done his own charity who i'm not friends with oh, a wow. french magician a French <laughs> hypnotherapist, an Australian musician, yeah, all, all sorts of different things. And yeah, whether this be in person or via Zoom, I wouldn't have these conversations in real life. Even with your friends when you're drunk, you still don't really mm. get this kind of depth or this kind of, yeah, this kind of real authentic conversation. So I thought if I have a podcast, I can do this and I can talk to people either in a deep way if they wish or a casual manner and share it if people enjoy the insight. And so far, it's gone particularly well. I've managed to interview people from all over the world about yeah, travel, hypnotherapy, mental health, uh, charity organizations, traveling. Expat life is a great topic. It's yeah. very similar to your podcast here. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, as I can say, so you, you don't really like um, stick to one topic. You're, you're willing to like, um... I guess anything is, is is game really on your podcast, which is quite cool because you can. There's a lot to Absolutely, cover, isn't there, yeah, in the podcast? Um, yeah, I didn't really know what niche to go towards, and I, I ended up overthinking a lot about. Oh, I need to have a niche. I need to have a certain audience, and I thought just try 
a bit of everything and see if there's one particular avenue that suits me better, whether it be travel, sport, mental health, just get, get, give it a shot, try everything and work out eventually which you want to go down. But so far, I'm pretty happy with how it's gone. Uh, 119 episodes now in just wow. yeah, six months. So I'm just going to keep smashing them out. And it, it helps me throughout lockdown as well. Yeah, I've actually done the same in terms of time. But I think this is only the 22nd episode. I think, um, yeah, I just thought I'd do one a week um, for now. But I'm, I, I'm toying with the idea of doing a couple more a week. But um, I'm just seeing how it goes at the minute. Because um, like yourself, I think because we've got a, a big trip planned hopefully next year. Um, I'm going to take it on the road. So um, wherever we are, it's going to be like a, almost like a diary type um, with random guests on that we're putting meet where, wherever we are. Um, so that's yeah, kind of yeah. the aim of this. So like, you know, if I was in Saigon, for example, um, we can just actually do it in person. Um, that'd be pretty cool instead of doing it over Zoom. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great that you're covering all these topics. Um, where can we find you? What platforms are you on? I'm on all platforms, so it's come back uh, on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Uh, it's yeah, it's the CK is capitalized, but I'm not sure that comes across on there. So if you type in my name, then Connor Kelly, C O N O R one M uh, Kelly, then it should come up. And also, I'm on Instagram at, at the comeback with CK. So that's where I post most of my promo, promo and content. Great. Yeah. And I'll be posting uh, some promo and content for this episode um, on my story, um, on my, both of my Instagram accounts, I have a, a private and a personal one. So a uh, private and a professional one. So yeah, I'll, I'll get that out there so people can um, have access to that as well for you. Um, one final thing, you mentioned your blog earlier. So you, you started a blog, but finished a blog. Is that just because podcasting is easier? Um, yeah, basically, I um, I did my journalism degree at university and then thought, um, to be honest with you, it's because um, I'm generally quite shy. And we even used to joke growing up in the family that the one person who isn't the most chatty is me because I'm quite introverted, a bit in myself. And so I thought, I can't do a podcast. There's no chance. <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I can't speak. I'm more a listener. And so then I started blogging. And But what I was doing basically was I would ring somebody. So I would have this chat but then I would then transcribe it. So I would write down oh, yeah. the entire conversation, say, for example, with James. And I realized, A, it's quite time consuming. And yeah. B, it's much easier if I just you know, release this conversation here. So yeah, people are more likely to listen. For example, if I say, oh, I've got a blog, an interview, you can read it. People don't really want to do so. But if I say I've got a podcast, people are more likely to listen. I don't know why that is. But yeah, so I decided to, yeah, I, I probably will go back to the blogging, but probably more, you know, opinion-based pieces, a bit of travel blogging, because uh, ultimately I have ambitions to maybe work as a journalist again, and I'd probably need to get back into that side yeah. of things. But for now, podcasting has taken over. It's only been six months, so yeah, we'll see how it goes, but I'm enjoying the podcasting slightly more than the blogging. So yeah, I've gone down this route instead for the time being. Yeah, it's great to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. So let us know when you're doing your blog posts and I'll, I'll check in as well. I think now because you do the podcast, you've got now the ability to do like non-transcribing blogs, right? You can just do like a little piece on something that's completely random. So that's good because you have all this last six months in the bank like we both have yeah. with all these episodes. 
Um, and then also, you know, now you can branch out and just do like, you know, if people prefer to read, they can read your, you know, one page blog about something. So yeah, now you've got both. I, I think it's a good way to get out there to the wider population. Yeah, sounds great, man. Cool. So to wrap up, we're going to do my usual quick fire questions. Uh, these are intended for not much thought. This is whatever comes to your mind. And uh, they will be like generic uh, travel questions. So let's go with... It's travel question time. Uh, what has been the favourite beach that you've been to? Oh, probably... Kondao, Vietnam, which is like a, a hidden version. It's like Fuok eight years ago. Yeah. One day Kondao. Yeah, it's got to be the, the water was crystal clear. The beaches were untouched. It was only me and my friends there. Yeah, it was paradise. So I'm going to go with Kondao Beach in Vietnam. Great. Awesome. Um, if you were to go for a weekend trip to a city, uh, not including Saigon because you live there, where would you recommend uh, or what is your favourite one you've been to? That I have that I have been to, um, probably Amsterdam. Yeah, Amsterdam was just. I, I mean, I'm not sure if you've been. It's vibrant. It's got similar levels of craziness. I love the Dutch people and their humor. Uh, you know, I love the buildings. Yeah. It... Yeah, I've not been to Amsterdam, so. Um... Yeah, that's on my list, believe it or not. Um, next question is going to be, what is your favourite cuisine in the world? Uh, <laughs> I was trying to avoid this cuisine last week because of the football, <laughs> but it's Italian. I think okay. Italian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just outstanding. Anywhere, yeah, anywhere in the world, it still stands up, and it's one yeah. reason why I want to visit Italy so badly, just to try the food because, wow, it's just incredible. Their contribution to the food scene is just unparalleled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's incredible. Is that definitely up there for me? Um, yeah, it goes to little like Italian places in Italy. Oh, the dream. Um, drive around a little Vespa. Yeah, that's one day in the future. Okay, um, it, oh, bit generic. It's one favorite country as a whole. Favorite country as a whole, and um, so we I've already um, that I've been to. Um, yeah, I've always said Amsterdam, but it's probably Holland. I, I did fall in love with Holland, so and I do want to visit there again. So I probably would say Holland again. I know I've already mentioned it, but Holland is definitely a place that I love. Okay, that's no no problem with that. Holland is cool. Uh, are you a coffee drinker? Um, I've become one since coming to Vietnam and having a cafe soda. The coffee here is extremely strong. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I love Vietnamese coffee. So, there? yeah, I've become one. I normally ask, like, your favourite... Um, I'm a bit of a coffee fiend. I, like, um, I sort of analyse different countries' coffees and if it's light, medium or dark roast, I sort of go to that depth. Um, uh, okay. Tell you get it if you're not into that that much. But, your yeah, your favourite type of coffee, if you went you know, a city's coffee or a country's coffee, what would you say? Ooh, right, okay. Um, to, be, to be honest with you, this is very difficult to answer because up until I came to Vietnam, I barely drank coffee. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but Vietnamese coffee, 
is great. So Vietnam wins by default, but I'm sure it, you know, it, it's quite good compared to many other countries. Yes, so it I is. Yeah, yeah. Now. It's a good one. You, you, you got away with that big time. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, have you done much trekking? If so, your favourite trek? Trek Mount Batur in Bali. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. That was, that was yeah. Well, Watch the sunrise there. That was amazing. Yeah, it was worth getting up at 3 a.m. for sure. Great. That's awesome. Um, that's kind of my quick fire questions. Um, to finish off the episode, we're just going to maybe have a quote or a, a reason for um, to go traveling or to do what you're doing. Like, what would you, you know, final few sentences, what would you say just to sign off to say, look, this is why you should go traveling or teach in Vietnam or China or whatever it would be? What, what would you say? The quote I would use, I believe it's by Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah, whether you think you can, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whether you think, yeah, whether you think you can move abroad and make a success of it, whether you think you can't, you're right. It's all about what you think inside. Yeah, I'm pondering that. And that's a, I don't want to say anything else other than that quote because I think that's a pretty decent one. Probably one of the best ones we've had. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to leave on that one, I think, um, and let people ponder that as the end of the episode. So, Connor, I want to say thanks for coming on. Um, I think we'll do it again. Um, I will put this on record. I'd love to come on your podcast and talk uh, about a random subject. Doesn't doesn't have to be travel or football, whatever you want. So, if you need another guest, just let me know. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Definitely. Yeah, I'm always. Yeah, always keen to have recurring guests. And yeah, as in, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure, James. So thanks very much, mate. And yeah, you're welcome back anytime. So we'll get that done in a few weeks or so. Great, great. Thanks for chatting um, and we'll catch you soon. Uh, as usual, this will be released on Monday. So um, I'll send out the usual um, promos and stuff next week. Um, but yeah, that'll be Monday coming up. So thanks for coming on. Catch you soon, Connor. Nice one. Cheers, James. Bye. Thank you for listening to my Wingernet podcast today. You can check out my website, jameshammond.org, for all the links to all the platforms for your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. There's a contact form on the homepage for you to get in contact for anything you want me to discuss to do with travelling. Don't forget to check out my Instagram page, James Hammond Travel, where I post daily about my last 10 years of travelling, travelling, and more travelling. Finally, please rate the podcast. I really appreciate it if you can rate it, leave some comments, and I'd love to read them. Stay safe, happy listening, happy reading, and be inspired.